everybody, welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast and we had to get to this episode eventually. My name's Jack Shaw and joining me as always is my good friend and Squid Game fanatic, Colin McMillan, how are Hi, you? Hi mate, I'm good. Um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed recording these podcasts and watching the episodes back and paying a special attention to them and trying to spot little bits and pieces and this episode we're talking about this week is probably the best episode of the show. Probably one of the best episodes of something I've seen in a long time. But I don't know if I can say I enjoyed watching it, if you know what I mean by that. Yes, because on Saturday just passed, I walked round the corner to your house, Colin, and we sat and watched it together. And Colin seen me cry because it hit me much harder second time round. Like, I remember when I first watched it, it was visceral, it was cathartic, it was really hard hitting and the second time round was worse. It was horrendous watching this back. So what we're doing today, we're not going to split this into three parts Colin, we're going to do this in one part and we'll basically, we'll do a quick intro and then we will basically break the episode down into the four battles, the four main battles we'll call them in the Marvels game because like you said the last episode, for example, raised so many questions, whereas this episode, for it is the best episode in my opinion, I think, in most people's opinion, it's the, the standout episode of the series. There's not a lot of questions raised or anything like that really during the episode. There is little bits and bobs that we will get to, but generally it's just so hard-hitting, so I don't know if I've got the emotional capacity to, to have recorded three parts anyway, mate, so we'll do it in one part. Yeah, okay? I think that makes sense, mate. This is very this episode's very much all thriller, um, no filler. Um and like you say, there isn't anything that kinda leads you to try to figure things out or wondering if this is a clue. It's very sort of just hits you right in the feels and it's very clear what's going on at all times. There's there's not so much areas for debate or pondering over. It's just bang, 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 action, 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 and sadness, 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 really. So yeah, I think that's the best way to approach it. Yeah, Squid Game has basically until now largely avoided tugging on your heartstrings, particularly, you know, there's some backstories that have been sad, but it's kind of skewed away from that, basically. And I think, again, it's just why this series has been so popular is last episode, so many questions, so many what's, why's, how's, you were just asking yourself all these questions. This is just straight up, straight to the heart. So... It basically focuses on these Marvel games, apart from, there's a very short scene, basically, right at the start, where you see John Ho, and he overhears the frontman sort of taking a telephone call about the arrival of these VIPs that are coming, but basically the whole um, one hour and one minute is focused on the players in this next game, mate, and it got, gets off to, it's quite a horrific start to the episode as well, when they're walking through the normally, well, it's pretty scary, but the, the stairs... The, the Escher stairs, basically, it's it's pretty horrific. It is, yeah. You you see the the hanging bodies of the guards and the doctor, who we obviously saw in the previous episode, had been caught with their, their cheating and their kind of side hustle around about the organ um, sales and stuff like that. And it's the first time that the players have seen, they've seen dead bodies immediately in the aftermath of games, but they haven't, the dead bodies are taken away relatively quickly, they're cleaned up, and they're burnt, they're not left on display, they're not left to display the horror really after it. So walking into that room or walking into that stairway and seeing that for the first time would be quite visceral and um, quite a shock to the system, I think, because you're not expecting it at that point. You expect during the games to see death and to see horror, but just at the start as you enter that stairway, no. And it's it's quite a shock to the senses in terms of how it's done as well. It's not just a case of we've caught these people, they're bad, they've been punished. It's we've caught this people, here they are for your display. This is what happens if you go against this game and take away the essence of this game, which they believe, rightly or wrongly, to be fairness and equality, and everyone having an equal opportunity. That is it. They also make use of a like baby's mobile. That's like the the thing that you would hang over a baby's cot with. Uh, normally, it would be stars and cows and things like that, but it's obviously bodies that are hanging from it. Again, this yin and yang that the writer has very much hit upon throughout the whole series, basically, this very much. I think the writer loves children in the sense that I think he sees children as the, the, the innocent 
and sort of everybody and everything else as bad, basically. And that maybe explains the way that Ali's been written, because we will get to him, because he's so, so childlike, it's over the top at times. But we will get there. So after this tug-of-war game, everybody sort of assumes that once they get picked and they have to pick a partner, that they will play a game together, not against them, really. So what teams get picked, who picks who here before we get into the interesting set? There's there's a, there's a lot of teams picked, but the main ones we're going to focus on are Sangwoo and Ali, eh, who select each other. They agree that they've got the brains and the brawn, and they also happen to like one another, which makes them a great team. Sebyok eh, is convinced to join up with Player 240, uh, the young woman who joined the kind of the main characters tug of war team that we've only really just got to know a little bit of. Um, over in Gangster World in the Bad Crew, Juxu just chooses one of his um, henchmen or one of his baddies, a guy called Player Two Seven Eight. Minio, um, Player Two One Two, the annoying woman who isn't as annoying on second watch. I've decided, but is still annoying and is the best description of her. Ends up alone. Nobody wants to be with her. She's carted off by the guards. Um, with your belief that she's dead because she's not got somebody, you just make the assumption, I think she does as well, that if you don't have a partner, you will just be killed because that's you failed already. And then obviously our hero, Ji-Hun, looks around for somebody to catch up with. He also has the fear that if you're left alone and don't have a partner, you end up dead, which brings him back to the old man, player one. And um, he looks after him right away, gives him his jacket to cover up his waist from the, the sign that he's wet himself and the stain that's on there. And... He he probably puts himself at risk at this point, Jack, because the assumption is that you have to work together and he picks the weakest guy in the game to be his partner because he feels bad for him. Um, just further putting Jihan up in the hero stakes and showing what a good guy he is. Yeah, as knowing what's coming up, I feel really, 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 really bad for the husband and wife combo God, here yeah. because obviously they need to stick together and... Yeah, that that's pretty horrendous. Not I mean the two gangsters, they don't they they don't care about each other. They're like and when it boils down to it, they have absolutely no feelings towards each other. But yeah, that poor husband and wife. Player two forty says something here that I don't know if you picked up on. Um to player sixty seven, when sixty seven says what why should I pick you? What will you do so that I win? And she says, I will do anything and her death that we will get to just sort of a little bit of foreshadowing there that she said she would she said she would help sixty seven live. And I'm really crying thinking about it. See you you spoke to me a fair bit about that one. You built up the relationship between those two a lot, building up to us watching this episode again. And I don't know why, but on first watch it wasn't as impactful as me that one. But on the second watch, I like you, it absolutely got me. I don't know if there's something to be said that the, the the level of analysis that we're giving the show, Jack, and the amount of rewatches we've done already on this has helped us to build a bond with these characters maybe quicker than somebody normally just watching this straight through. But I do think it's worth mentioning that this show, in six episodes, has already got you to a place with these characters, but I think everybody's invested in quite a lot of them. And this episode takes a lot out of you. And for it to have that impact on you as a viewer, after just five episodes, this has been episode six, shows you what a good job they've done writing, character development-wise, and acting, because after five episodes of something, you don't, you've not usually got this investment in a cast that people have for this episode, and it shouldn't impact you the way this does, and it does. There's a change in the sort of, the way that uh, the set looks, because we've had these colourful places where children would go and play a big playground, there's uh, been red light, green light. This is sort of dingy back lane set, and again, it's just basically good story writing, it's a different set, it's a different place because there's something different here, the morality has taken such a massive jump here from the tug of war where you're killing people, but not one on one, so it kind of came as a bit of a surprise, but also at the same time not particularly the way that the the games had been progressing quite steadily getting, let's be honest, worse and worse and worse here, and obviously this is the sort of last one, and that change of scenery just sort of sets it up. Uh, the woman's voice is still getting used, although she comes over and sort of explains the rules, basically. You need to get the 10 marbles off of your opponent, and you win, and the other person loses, and that's when they know, uh-oh, we're in a little bit of trouble here. We're going to have to basically kill the other people. So we'll go through the battles, basically. We'll start with 
Will we start the gangsters? Yeah, let's let's do that. That's kind of the most formulatic, formulatic one because it's two guys just trying to beat each other with no other stakes involved and no relationship really. Well, that is it. Actually, see when you think about it, these gangsters are really the only ones that are playing fair because they're they've not got the, the emotional investment side of things. They're not trying to they're not trying to fix it. They're not trying to find a way around the rules. They're literally just let's try and knock each other out here. Is that what you mean? Yeah, basically. They're playing fair. They're playing this... The I think they're playing the guessing game anyway, whether it's odd or even, and then, obviously, Jock decides he doesn't want to play that anymore, which was a little bit... Wait, we were sitting watching it, and I had my, my queries about that. We'll get to that in a second, right? We don't really know an awful lot about players, so 278. Underrated creepiness, but Colin, that we noticed on this second time around how just weird he is. He's such a creepy weirdo. Absolute creepiness. Um, we, we obviously, for the further purposes of this one, we watched the dubbed version. So you were getting, obviously, the English track. So he, his voice, whatever the person chose to do the dubbing was, he had a very creepy voice, very creepy laugh. But the original actor as well, very creepy mannerisms, dare I say it, a very creepy face. And the combination of the two, he did just come across like a right, strange, odd little man you would kind of cross the street to avoid him, I think, because he just had that creepy look about him in a creepy way. And he's he, he got the first chance, I think, to show his personality in this, Jack, because previous to this, these guys have really just been support cast for um, Jack Su. They have, they've really just been his muscle, and they've not had really any opportunity to show personality. They're just muscle, they're just his bebop and rocksteady type things. Whereas in this game, you actually get to see that he's got a little bit about him. He starts to kind of fight back. He starts to show that, you know what? I've got a personality, I've got a, I care for myself more than you, and you helped me before, now I can give a toss about you because I, I'm more important sort of thing. You, you get to see that development and it was quite interesting. Yeah, he always seemed to be quite loyal and respectful, but he's not, and it comes, it shows here pretty quickly that he'd never really been loyal to the gangster, which is fair enough because he is a massive, massive dickhead. Now, he's winning quite comfortably during the game, I think uh, 101 actually gets down to his last marble and then asks the guard if he can change the game. Now, this is a triangle guard. Seems like he's got quite a lot of power here because he seems to pass judgment on his shouts to change the game and says, right, okay, on you go. Now, see, if you were 278, would you not have argued that more? He seemed to just accept it, right, okay, we'll change the game, even though he was so close to winning. You think you would have at least argued the point or... Is he respecting the rules here of the triangle's choice? And when triangle says, right, okay, on you go, he just accepts it. I thought he would have fought a little bit more, to be honest with you. Yeah, I like to think I would have fought more given the circumstances because he, he got shafted a little bit here. They were playing a game that was equally fair. It was a game of chance and he was coming out on top and he was well on, on the way to winning and, and saving his life. Juxu asked for the change in game and it's agreed by triangle and... I was surprised at the time, and I'm surprised watching it back, Jack, because it, it did seem a bit off that you could just change it halfway through, and it did seem a little bit off that that decision was made by the triangle, because everything else in this game, um, in this round of games, I should say, has been between two players, work it out between yourselves, you just need to get the marbles. Whether it was a, a respect for the triangle, or respect to fairness, to why I just went along with it, it's maybe more respect towards the triangle's gun more than anything else, and the fact that We've not seen these guys really been open to conversation and open to dialogue and changing of minds and stuff. So I think he just knew that when that guy said yes, there was little to nothing he could do to change his mind that wasn't going to do anything. So he just went along with it. Now, we've mentioned the ticking clock as being a character on its own, basically, throughout the show. Now, obviously, there is a clock in this, but it's that taking it to the extremes, taking it to the very last second before something breaks. And that's basically what happens in this game. Juxu throws his last marble. It doesn't win the hole. And then 278 throws his marble. The weight slows down, bounces off the, the wee stone and knocks 101's marble into the hole to win it. Again, just taking it to the extreme, what, what did you think about the way that this, that this game ended? You could see it coming a mile away. You knew that 278 wasn't going to win this. He's been a side character until now. It would have been a real curveball if he'd won. Um, yeah, it would have been, especially for the way he was being, he was being perhaps just too cocky and too arrogant right from the very start when he got his nose in front from the first game, basically the first part of the game. And you kind of got the idea that he was setting himself up for a fall. 
Um, and when they did the change of games, you thought, right, this is how, this is how he gets his comeuppance and this, this bastard is going to end up winning this. In terms of how they did it, it was probably, in terms of how they did it, it was probably the most exciting in terms of the setup and the actual viewage of the of the marble going in slow motion because although the other ones we're going to talk about are pretty much just an odd or uneven and I don't know about you but when you when you're the viewer and you you already know who's got how many marbles and stuff when you're watching it the odd and even isn't particularly riveting or it doesn't quite build up the same sort of tension or the same sort of mystery as the throwing of the marble particularly this last shot where it's almost in slow motion when I was watching it it doesn't actually look as if it's got enough motion. To carry it, I, I, I think the marble looks yeah. like it would stop well before it did, but it does. It knocks it. It's a lot of good bit of cinematography, and it, and it drops in, and um, it, it's it's very well done, and um, his reaction is is very good when he wins. I was racking my brains to try and figure out what I played as a youngster when I was using marbles, and we did have marbles when I was young, but it was never an odd or even game. It was more there's a game where you see. It's like a game sort of going on in the background where somebody's like throwing a marble at a bunch of marbles to hit them. That kind of rings more of a bell. Did you play much marbles? I didn't play marbles all of the time when I was younger, but if you did get the marbles out, it would have been some sort of flicking motion where you would try and almost play billiards, which is an old schooly game as well, where you try to sort of use cannons and screws to hit multiple marbles to take them. I think that's probably what I'd have been looking to do, but again, I don't think I would have been able to remember the rules to actually play it. I was very um, non-traditionalist, Jack, in my um, approach to marbles as a child. I played uh, things like Marble Run, where you kind of set up the the little the little tunnels and the little things, and you know, the, the marble rolls basically, and you see how long you can make it roll for. That was how I played marbles, rather than the sort of gambling version or playing for marbles, so to speak. I also don't think they were as prevalent at our age when we were younger. I mean, we were both what thirty six, thirty seven. Marbles were probably on the way out for us. They were, they were already a choking hazard, I think, for us even 36, 37 years ago and weren't as popular. Right, we may as well move along because one-on-one wins that game. He survives 2-7-8 as not a coward, but he, he tries to at least run away and escape, but there's absolutely no escape. If it, he eventually gets machine gunned down and that is the end of 2-7-8. Basically, we'll get to 67 versus 2 40. They are millennials, or maybe even younger, so they don't know how to play marbles, mate. And two forty basically dismisses it uh, as the provenance of boomers, which <laughs> made me laugh. And it is the only smile I think I cracked in this whole episode was when she said that. But it is, it does make sense. Yeah, it is very much um, even just the generation or two above us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a good. I like the use of the language, and it was good to have a little bit of humour and a little bit of joy in the start of this particular storyline because there wasn't a lot of it to follow. They're they're very different from everybody else, Jack. They're not desperate to start playing this game. They're not desperate to beat each other. They're not desperate to have a winner. And they very quickly come to the conclusion between the two of them that this is actually a real opportunity for the two of them to have a conversation and for the two of them to actually chat, which they've not been so sabiocra especially hasn't been keen to do before now. And it's the realisation that they've got an hour together, or 30 minutes together, however long it is. And by the end of it, one of them will be dead. So they can actually open up and they can see anything. And it won't ever be repeated because you'll either be dead and it won't matter, or the other person will be dead and won't be able to tell anybody. So this actually leads to a proper conversation, some real relationship development, some good character development, rather than just a game. And it's very, very well done. We learn, we learn a number of things, don't we? Yeah, I kind of think of this as a commentary on the younger generation just being more open with their feelings and stuff like that. Over the last few years in my full-time job, I found that the Generation Y or whatever you want to call them, the sort of I would call them under-20s, basically, are just much more comfortable just speaking about how they're feeling and stuff like that. Although, obviously, 67 has been very unwilling to share. 24 seems to bring out almost the best in her here. We, we do learn... Like we've spoken about this in previous episodes because everybody has watched the series through, but we this is actually where we start to learn more of the the, the players' backstories. And we learn that sixty seven's father was actually shot and killed. Another another sad thing during an attempt to escape North Korea, while her mother was caught by the Chinese security forces and returned home. And then we find out about two forty, and this is really. It's just horrible, really. Um, sexually abused by her father, who happens to be a pastor, 
which kind of explains her massive rejection of religion in sort of previous episodes, where she absolutely not a fan of God and not a fan of religious people. She eventually comes home one day, she tells us, from school, um, finding her mother has been murdered by her father, so she then murders her father. And she was only released from prison a few, I think, the day that she decided to come straight to Squid Game here, Colin. So she has had, without putting too fine a point on it, a pretty, pretty terrible time. She has, mate, yeah. And um, we spoke about how this episode doesn't really give you any other insight into anything other than just what's going on at the games. This little bit here is probably the only exception that I I found quite interesting because up until now, we've seen basically the guy with the two cards try to recruit people. And it's been train stations, it's been places in public where he's been trying to do that. I think the fact that you now find out there's literally this guy or an equivalent of this guy outside prisons picking up people on their most vulnerable time as, as they enter society, it's just even more chilling and even more cold, isn't it? Like people, we know that we've seen through many mediums and stories in the past what it's like when you first go out of prison, the, the fear of being institutionalised and the world changing around you and not, being, not finding people to find your place in it. And the fact that this person's there, offering them this opportunity basically outside the prison, I just think it's so, so low and so scumbaggy, isn't it? They're having the conversations as well, and they become like two, they're not quite teenagers, but like two teenage girls having a nice conversation, and like they forget that one of them's going to die, and 240 basically arranges a girl's night out for them, and they're just sitting going, no, please, stop. Like, just that moment of joy, she's laughing. She's, like, just sitting with a friend, having a conversation, forgetting that in nine minutes, one of them's going to die. It's, it gets you right in the heart, man. It really it does. does. Absolutely brilliant story right now. Yeah, again. it shows you the kind of the future that these two potentially could have had had they found each other in the outside world. The This kind of early stems of a decent, proper friendship between two women that desperately need it. And it's it's a tragedy that they discover that and they see the start of what that potentially could be when they have ten minutes left of life. It's oh, it's jarring. It's this is this is the one that hits you. I think this is the emotional one for me. Yeah, it really is. In the end, they decide to play one game, and it's basically throw the marble nearest to the ball. When she let sixty-seven go first, think about the first time you watched it. Did you know that she was going to throw the game and kill herself? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it was a little bit more clear in the second the second watch that we just did. However, I don't think it's obvious. I, I, I think it's still a surprise, even even when you know it. I don't think there's any massive clues or you've missed anything obvious. I think the, 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 the idea that I had when watching it was these two have been brutally honest with each other. They've got a relationship. They have said since the start, we'll play one round, one game, and that is it. And I just, I think I did just think it would be legitimate a legitimate throw, and whoever wins, wins. Which, again, probably makes the eventual sacrifice that she does even even harder, I think. I think I knew she was going to do it the first time round. I'm yeah. pretty sure I thought, don't just drop that marble, you don't. <laughs> and and she did. So sad. So, so fucking sad. Like, I, don't, I can't re- reiterate how much this one hit me, um, to be perfectly honest with you. So she gets... 67 isn't happy about this, like she's saying, throw again, throw again, and she says, oh, I'm a butterfingers, um, it slipped out my it slipped out my hand, oh well, and then admits why she done it, she says, you've got something to live for, um, I have nothing, basically, so she sacrificed her life for the hope that 67 can go on and get out of the games, and rescue her brother, meet her mother again, so she's done that. She means she gets shot just before she gets shot, Colin, and she says her name, because we don't know her name until now. This is the first time we find out her name, Ji Young. So she tells her the name. Again, just kind of hits you harder. And then she's crying, obviously, and she says, thanks for playing with me, which is the most, again, the most that is the most heartbreaking bit. Yeah. Thanks for playing with me. It's, Sad. it's, it's probably the, the first and only true, proper, selfless act in the whole show, Jack. We've seen Jehan make some really good decisions, but he's made them with still the, the idea behind them that he can benefit from them. He can still win, but he's, he's made kind decisions. He's done fair things in the past, but this is someone being completely selfless, sacrificing themselves for somebody else. 
and it's a complete juxtaposition to everything else in this show. Basically, it's the only it's the only example of that I can think of, unless I'm missing something. I don't know if you can think of anything else, or somebody can maybe get us in the in the feedback between shows about this one. But I cannot think of anybody else that does anything even close to this in terms of self sacrifice on the show. Right, we'll get away from. Firstly, we'll get away from the sadness. We won't get away from the sadness because we're going to speak about Sangwoo versus Ali now, player 218 versus player 199. They begin by doing the odd and even thing. Ali doesn't know what odd and even is. He has to get that explained to him. He starts to win the game, basically, and Sangwoo gets really fucking mad here. Uh, when Ali starts to take a big lead, accusing him of cheating, then begging for his life, and then finally. There is a moment where you can see on his face that he's came up with a plan and it's so deceiving. But again, have you got any qualms about the way Ali's written here, how gullible he is and how easy it is to trick him? Or again, is it just the childish nature of him and the way the writer seems to lean on the innocence of, of children? So, you know, for me, Ali's been... He's been innocent. He's been almost childlike throughout in terms of his outlook and how he's been. He's also got no reason, Jack, up until this point, to think bad of Sangwoo because Sangwoo is the guy that got him something to eat. He's the guy that gave him money towards his ticket, his bus ticket home. He's the guy that's almost taken him under his wing back in the games. He's brought him into his squad. Um, He's the guy that helped him win the tug of war. It was the guy that gave the idea to make that happen. They've had the relationship. They've shared the food. He calls him Mister. He calls him Sir. They've built up a relationship to this point, which to him is super strong, and to him there's just no indicator or reason to think that this guy would ever shaft him or do bad by him. So I know it's it's probably correct to say that he's gullible and that he's he's too he has too kind of outlook on the world. But if you look at the relationship these two have had already, Sangwoo has been very very kind to him up until now and really gave him no indicator that he could do this to him. So I kind of don't blame him because of the relationship they previously had and what he's previously witnessed from Sangwoo. It has just been kindness so far, um, which again just makes the whole betrayal and what happens even worse and more visceral. Well, that is it. that's what I was going to ask you then. If you don't blame Ali, this is a life or death situation. Do you blame Sangwoo for being deceitful to win this? Should he have just took his comeuppance considering he was going to kill himself about four days ago? I'm going to this. This is going to be unpopular, right? But no, I don't blame Sungwoo for that because, at the end of the day, this is a dog eats dog situation, and it's all very good being being the guy that Ali's lovely, Ali's brilliant, Ali's a nice guy. Let's make Ali okay. But to make Ali okay, you're basically giving yourself up and you're killing yourself. And Sungwoo, yes, he was going to kill himself a week ago in terms of the show and what he was happening in the outside world. However, he's back in this games he's been through three or four other horrible ordeals so far to get where he is and he's still in it. So why should he just give up because Ali's such a nice guy? It's just horrible to watch. But if you're putting that situation, Jack, you're in that show, I think you do do anything to survive. And I, I, I think I probably would do... I'd like to think I wouldn't do the same thing, but I probably would because the alternative is me dying and I don't want that to happen. That is it. I hate saying we but I don't really blame him for this deception to win. I hate him for doing it, but I don't, I don't hate, I hate him for doing it, but I don't, how do I word this, I don't hate, yeah, I hate how it was done too, so I think we're in the same boat here that I understand why he's done it, because you're going to die if you don't, and yeah, if you can pull a trick, a sleight of hand, a sleight of marbles, a sleight of stones, whatever you want to call it, and get away with it. I don't really blame him for it. I hate him for it, but I don't blame him for it. That's probably what I'm trying to get at. So he sends Ali away to find another team that might like look like they are. There isn't a clear winner because he's managed to persuade them that, look, there's going to be some teams that there's no winner and then it'll be us that can beat them type thing. So he's running about looking for people, but he realises far too late that Sangwoo has swapped his bag of marbles out for a bag of pebbles taken from the fake street in which the marble game is being played. So much for that beautiful friendship, basically, and so much for Ali. The shot of his face that is now a meme is 
the second for me the second most heartbreaking behind two forties man when that moment of realization not only are you dying but your last thought and feeling is my my a friend somebody who sees a friend has betrayed me to my death must be fucking horrendous. It's 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 awful, and it's the fact that you you've really got no time. Uh, as Ali Ali's got absolutely no time to even kind of start to unpack this, or even start to understand it, or think about the bigger picture, and think, okay, he's done this because if he doesn't, he dies. He's literally been betrayed. He's came to that realization, and then you're dead. It's absolutely awful, and the work this actor does with his face here, the work he does with his eyes, it's absolutely captivating and so, so, so well done. And even the voice actor for the dubbing, we need to give them a little bit of kudos as well because they do such a great job to give Ali this really kind of, this really kind of open, childish-like voice and almost his voice sounds like a question the way he speaks. Now everything's kind of mysterious and everything's new to him. And it's just really, really tragic and awful to watch. And everybody falls in love with Ali on this show because he has been so pure and so good. And for him to get possibly the most wicked or evil betrayal of them all, it just seems so unfair. Yeah, we'll we'll move on then to our main protagonist, our main man, Ji-Hoon, and player 001, who again, we actually don't know his name. We've been using his name throughout the show, but they're playing the guessing game, although it has taken a little while to get started because the dementia-riddled old man has sort of thought that the fake streets are where he grew up. Now, he's not got dementia, right? We know that. So, again, why is he doing this? Is this a test of 456 to sort of see, will he take advantage of a dementia-riddled old man to, to save his life? How will he react to it? I kind of think that there's something in that that he's he's definitely testing the goodness of four, five, six at certain points in this because he obviously knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly an element to that. Um, some of the, the the myths and the the stories out there about potential fathers or grandfathers and stuff like that as well potentially comes into it with him looking to jog his memory of childhood and does he remember growing up in a place like this? That's brought a lot of people's kind of ideas and opinions to the forefront as well. I find this quite frustrating to watch from Jihan's point of view. Like I, I can imagine, I could put myself in Jihan's position here and trying to get this old guy to play this game, knowing that you've got a strict time scale, Jack, that you need to get it done by, I would be going off my nut <laughs> at the time this was taken and trying to continuously get him to play the game and play another round. I found it really frustrating to watch as a viewer and I completely got Jihan's frustration and found how hard it would have been for him to try and get this guy back on track all the time and play this game. Because you need to remember as well that you've got the fear at this point between the two of them and Jihan's point of view. If we don't get this done, they'll just kill both of us. Well, that is it. Like He does take advantage of the man's poor mental faculties a couple of times, two or three times, rigging the game, changing odd to even and vice versa. But again, similar to Sangwoo, you're going to die if you tell this guy the truth. So lie to him. Like, again, but because obviously 456 is the, the main guy, the protagonist, you, you don't have the same feelings towards him as everybody seems to have towards Sang Wu because he's doing it to Ali and he's doing it to this old guy. But this old guy's still very popular in the show at this point. Like, I, I was on Reddit earlier reading just the episode 6 live comments, basically, as people are watching it. They're all going on about how he's like a hero and, and so on and so forth, player zero zero one not knowing what's what's coming up. What he does do, but uh, very much on purpose, I'm sure, is keep one marble in his pocket. So Jihan thinks he's won, miscalculates before emptying the bag and counting out that you only get 19 marbles. The old guy's got one marble left. But he goes and walk about again, so he does, Colin. <laughs> he just starts wandering away. He does. He just starts in a world of his own again, and he finds what he thinks is his house that he grew up in. And all the time, Jack, this 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 clock is ticking, this clock is fading away, and Jihan's getting more and more frantic and more and more concerned that they're not going to get this game finished. And um, just to go back to what you said as well, I completely I completely back Jihan and what he did to what he did here. And I would do the exact same. I, I would dupe the old fella as well for my advantage. So I've got no kind of animosity towards Jihan for how he does this because I think we would all, we would all do it, truth be told. 
Yeah, it gets he gets a little bit more angry, but which is fair enough because he needs to get this game finished. But then the old man sort of sparks out of it basically and suggests playing one last round. So he's got one marble, Jean's got nineteen, one last game, and winner takes all, basically. Which isn't fair, is it? <laughs> well no, but this is when the old man says, Hi, has it been fair when you were dripping me there? So he knows exactly what's going on. I don't know if you noticed this, and I don't know if it's just to do with the set or if there's something here, but the the invitation card is sort of hanging outside uh, the the home that the old man recognises as his own. And there's a picture of it with the, the card just outside of the door, so I don't know if that's, again, if it means anything or if it's just there because that's what's everywhere in this set. But it's, again, a tiny minutiae, a tiny little detail that is there, the old man decides to just give up, but and give Ji Hoon his uh, marble, and then they have that the conversation about we're Ganbu, and again this is pretty. The wee hug here is the the <laughs> I keep ranking these things as like the third most emotional thing <laughs> for me when he just gives him the wee hug. Yeah, we went through them in order, for, in my opinion, anyway. How are you feeling at this point here when the old man, me like saying to yourself, right, okay, fair enough, you're the old man, you don't have much of a life to live anymore, you've got dementia, you should be giving up your marble, almost, do you know what I mean? Kind of, yeah, and it's the whole, they obviously had the conversation at the start where they had the Ganbu conversation about what that meant and what that meant to be um, Ganbu with somebody, and to bring it all back to that at the end, the old guy to say, listen, even though I know you've been cheating me here, we are still Ganbu, and basically just offers his marble to him. It is quite affecting as well. It's quite impactful. And you're right to call out that the player one has become very, very popular. People have warmed him so far. You talked about the meme between when um, Ali dies. There's also the, the meme from this episode of him sat on his own without a partner, which has become one of the most popular memes in the show as well. There's also a bit, a bit of a word here to his dubbing actor as well, because he's in the show, when you're watching it and you're just reading subtitles, Jack, it's very hard to pick out features to a voice which is in a different different um, language what you're used to you can't really pick out tone I don't think I certainly can't when you're reading subtitles whereas the, the dubbing and the voice actor for here has been very very good with his tone and giving this guy almost a real a real soft kind of wide eyed voice which he even has right to the end here and that helps to build up his sort of character and stuff as well um, so yeah this one is pretty sad and gets you in the feels as well especially when you realise or you think you realise that by giving up his marble, he's off into the house to be shot to death. And similar to Ji Young, the old man finally offers up his name, Il Nam. So again, a little bit of synchronicity there that I do love, and that is happening again. Then he supposedly gets shot to death. This does seem to be one thing that a lot of people have noticed, that I think we'll get to them in the question queries and theories. A few people bring it up, the way it's shot, you definitely don't see it happening. It's clear as day that the way the camera cuts away and you hear the gun going off, but you don't see the old man getting murdered, whereas you've seen G Young getting shot in the head. I'm pretty sure you see Ali, you get everybody else you see murdered, and this is the one thing that some people seem to really drill down upon, that you don't actually see him getting murdered, and it is quite... It was well noticed. Um, I noticed first time as well, like... But I thought they were just hiding it, because, like... You don't really want to see an old man getting shot in the head. That's the reason I thought. Yeah, it? it's TV rule 101, Jack, isn't it? And we both have watched enough TV over the years that we should not be duped by this. We should know this. If you do not see the person dying, they are not dead. That is the, the rule of television. However, this one has been so well done. And you you, you do just think, listen, this, this, this has been so impactful. This has been so horrible. There's been so many horrors, even in this just one episode. They've spared me seeing this poor old guy. Because the, the the killings in this show are quite brutal. They're very Tarantino-esque in that people get shot and you see pools of blood coming out of them. It's it's very visceral. It's very horrible. And I did think, listen, they've spared you to see that because you don't need to see the old guy. The impact in this scene is that he's given up and he's gave, off, he's gave up his last marble and he's dead. And he's had the dignity almost of retiring into the house, which he believes is his old house to die somewhere where he feels comfortable. And that was what I took from it on first watch. 
and I am thoroughly ashamed of myself for falling for their tricks um, because I did. I, I fully believed he was dead. I had no doubt in my mind they got me, mate, and I don't usually get got by things like this. Right, okay, so let's talk about bending rules. The rules state that using your set of 10 marbles, play the game of your choice with your partner. The player who manages to take all 10 marbles from their partner wins. Were trading marbles ever an option? Because that does seem to satisfy the conditions of using 10 of your marbles, playing a game, taking all 10 of your other marbles. This means unless, like, some sort of addendum is made, multiple winners in a team can exist. This seems to be quite a popular thing on the internet. Again, people are saying, look, those rules mean you could just basically trade marbles. So you've got my 10 and I've got your 10. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? It's it's also difficult because we don't really know if MD else did this. You only, we, you only really pay attention to the, the main ones we focused on. So did this go on in other games? Was there trading and people trying to kind of school the system in this way as well? I don't, I don't know. And also here, the rules don't state that there can't be any violence, whereas it seems to be quite sanguishes. I managed to get the marbles without using violence. I, I don't see that in the rules saying you can't just malky the person. Um, that's Scottish for use your head as a weapon and hit them in the face with your own head. Like, I don't see in the rules that I didn't hear that get mentioned, but it seems to be known that there can't be any violence because a few people seem to indicate I didn't need to use violence to get these. Ironically, the one thing they did, they have all used as a weapon is their head, just not in the way that we maybe think. Yeah. But it's the violent thing is an interesting thing, Jack. Cause we we said while we were watching this together, they've not mentioned you can't be violent. They've not mentioned you can't just batter each other. They've not mentioned you can't just physically take the marbles. However, all groups obey this, and every single group had its own guard standing duty and watching what they were doing, which made you think that they were there to make sure none of that went on. It's maybe a little a little loophole or a little hole in the the planning of the show or the storytelling that it doesn't mean it's abundantly clear because although it's not made abundantly clear, all the characters obey by it. So I just I think there's, there's something slightly missing just in the setup and the description of this game that doesn't make that clear to us, the viewer, but they all seem to be aware of it. Yeah, it does kind of feel inevitable given the sort of building up and the ratcheting up basically the moral stakes in each game. We mentioned this, we knew um, that during the tug of war games teams were forced to murder one another but at least they weren't forced to kill people they, they teamed up with but there's no exception made here and it's basically the game's masters that they intended for the players to choose the people that they were most fond of as partners here. There's a real twisted fucking sadism here I think. Like you're definitely going to partner up with husband and wife your friend, people that you have made relationships with and the game's masters for all their, oh, it's fair and lovely. There's a cheerful sadism involved, I think, in the way that these games are built. Yeah, they're, pardon my language, but they're mind-fucking everybody at every opportunity. They build them into a situation where they they'd get into groups. They build them into a situation where they have to defend their groups at night through fighting. They then use those groups in the last trial to do a tug-of-war and work as a team. They then break the team down into partnerships where you do make the correct assumption that you're going to be working together and you pick someone that you think you're going to work best with, only to find that the person you've picked, who you're probably closest to in the game in most of the circumstances, is now the person that you're battling to the death almost via marbles. It's just truly horrific, this game, in every single way. It's not just the stakes of death, it's how they do it to you and what they put you through at every turn. And it is sadistic, it is horrible. And it's these VIPs that they're set up for and these VIPs that want this and want it to be like this are the worst people in the world. <laughs> it's just horrific what they do. This was like, we, we, we knew at the start there's going to be characters in this that we like that are going to die, right? We, we knew this, but in this very specific episode, the way it's written, the way it's set up, there's absolutely fucking no way out of that. You've literally got to sit there for 45 minutes just waiting for people that you like and have bonded with as TV characters to die, and there's no way out of it. It's brilliant. It really is. It's changed up the pace as well. Like I don't know if I could have went on other ironically colourful set, you know, and the, the announcement with the Blue Danube, I think, the, the sort of tune that they play over it while the front man is barking on about things being fair and stuff like that. The way they've just changed it up, 
is brilliant, mate. Anything else to just add at the end before we get into sort of questions, queries, and theories? Because we've had quite a lot the last week on email and on Twitter. There's not really anything else to add other than, yeah, it's, it's quite great to, to call that out, the horror of this episode and waiting for people you, you like and you're attached to to die. Just to add to that, it's also the fact that even though you've got that 40-minute wait for somebody to die, it's not just waiting 40 minutes to see which of the characters dies. You've actually got these these duos. You've got four that we care about, different duos of people, and you know that one of each duo is going to die. So it makes it even more kind of horrible that you know in each circumstance it's one of the two and you start thinking about who's it going to be in each pair and which one you like the best and at times that's difficult. So it's just wonderful, wonderful storytelling. I'm still discovering this show for new people and telling people about this, Jack. There's still people who haven't seen this and are starting this show every day that I'm talking to are online or in work and stuff like that. And I just can't stress to them well enough how amazing this show is. And this episode's a great example of that. One of the best things about it is, for all its brutality, it doesn't, the show itself doesn't, like, share in the, the game sadism itself. The scenarios are really awful, like, they're really bad to sort of contemplate, but that's the point of it. That, that, that's what the creator, Huang Jong-yuk, is. That's what he values, basically. So he's making these sort of, writing these interpersonal connections, he's creating them, even as he destroys them. It's like, it's just twisted, man. It's, but it's, how to put it, it's, it's like a exploration of violence, not like an, like a, like exploiting violence for violence sake. It's for a point, basically. And he always makes sure um, that when he kills people that you care about, you know their name. Yeah, I think a really important point to make about this show, and one that a lot of people who just read the synopsis or see perhaps a trailer for it don't always appreciate is, this isn't a TV version of the Saw movies. This isn't. Um, this isn't. It's not exploitation of it's, violence. It's not yeah. violent porn. It's not hostile. It's not that sort of thing. This is a story about people and about relationships and what people do to survive. And that's why probably about eighty percent of the gate of the show isn't the games. It's the people's interactions. It's what happened in their past. It's how they correspond with each other and how they move forward. The games are a small part of the show. Um, and I find that's an important point I have to make to some people because some people Jack are put off this show because they do just think it's horror after horror after horror. My kind of thing that I say a lot to people is that this isn't a scary show. It's not a horror. It's a shocking show, um, not a horror. It doesn't do those sort of, like I say, this saw, scare of the week. Can we really make this as disgusting as possible? It's not what it's all about and it's all the better for it. Yeah, now we'll get to your questions, queries, and theories. Question. Hi, four, five, sixers. Just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things, really. Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us, and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. Queries. Theories. We've got Dominic on email calling who's been in contact before more to add to my previous email things I've noticed since re-watching the show there's a popular theory knocking about that 001 was not padlocked to the rope uh, during the tug of war hence could have all been pulled off the platform I've studied the battle closely and reckon he is padlocked as you can quite clearly see at least one closed padlock on his wrist you covered that Colin we've covered this so I think that is right I agree with that yep that's the same thing that I spotted so with you so far Dom Battery life. When the lights go off in John Ho's new room, he gets under the covers and gets his phone out. The battery life is 50%. Surely he would have ensured that he had a fully charged battery beforehand. Obviously, some battery life would have decreased, not by that much. And anyway, it was only reduced by around 15% the following night when he got the phone out in bed. So what do you think of that? 24 hours, 15% if your phone hasn't been used because he's not had it out at all. It's going to reduce by at least that amount. Um, I, I, battery life on his phone's a big thing. I've been taking notes of as I watch this go along. So I've got a note here that it was at 35% at one point. It's an iPhone. Your iPhone now, Jack, it sends out a signal even when it's turned off so that if you lose it, you can still find it. It's got stuff going on in the background. It is using data and it is still doing stuff when it's turned off. You are going to lose at least 10% overnight even when it's turned off. 
So it's it's just it's just how it works, sadly. For all his obvious bravado, arrogance, thuggery and bloodthirsty ways, it was interesting to see how much Jock Shoe was stressed out and panicking during green light, red light, or red light, green light, and honeycomb games. Other much weaker-willed individuals didn't seem half as stressed as he was during the games, and why didn't Seabook get him eliminated during that game, given their history? I think if you if you if you look at those games, that's games where the first one, green light, red light, he isn't. You don't really know what's happening yet. You've not got a real idea of the situation. It's surprising. You're not expecting it. So I think that explains why he's stressed out and panicked during that one. And the honeycomb games. It's very much just a, a, a chance. You could easily just a, a slight miss miss move of your hand, and you could ruin it. Your your big your strength, your aggression, your team behind you isn't a help to you in that situation. So I kind of get why he'd be more stressed out during that one as well. As for why she didn't get eliminated during green light red light, I think at the start she's still holding on to the idea that she he could be her mule ticket through these games, and she wouldn't want to do it at that point. She's not a murderer, is she? Not at that point. No, no, it's not. It's not for her. Finally, for an old, seemingly frail man with sense of dementia, Elnam was surprisingly very sprightly during green right, red light, as well as tug of war, plus he managed to get himself onto top of the bunks. These moments of athleticism weren't noticed or questioned by the others. I think we've covered that, man. Yeah, we noticed it. And I think just the others, they're in that much of a fucking panic that like somebody getting a boost of adrenaline and climbing up a few bunk beds even as an old man, it's probably the last thing on your mind because you've just noticed somebody get their throat slit or something. So I can see why others didn't notice it, but we, we've covered that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Dom says, that's all. Cheers. So we'll move on, Colin. Who have we got next? Yeah, we've got Ronaldo on Twitter. Um, no, not that one, I don't think. He said two things. Do you think this is a similar impact to Game of Thrones Red Wedding episode? And did you notice at the point that we didn't actually see 101 being shot the camera panned behind the wall as you heard the gunshot. I spotted it at the time, but didn't quite join up the dots. So I think we've covered the, the not seeing the shooting part of this question, Jack. But the, the Red Wedding episode is quite an interesting one in terms of... You take it away because I've not watched Game of Thrones. Yeah, so the Red Wedding is a particular guttural episode of Game of Thrones where almost a whole family, um, a whole group of family that have been together for a, a fair bit in the show, are all taken out in one goal. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It's one of the first big twists in that show, and it is massively impactful in terms of after it happened, people had read the books and knew this was coming. So people were actually watching this episode with their cameras and their phones, shooting their partner or shooting their wife or husband, watching it for the first time to get their reaction because it was literally a shit the bed moment. And I think in some ways this is this, this has been quite like that in terms of how horrific the deaths were and how they kind of came out of nowhere because you didn't expect the partnerships to come into it like this way and to be watching the waiting for somebody to die. So yeah, I think it does have that sort of similar impact in that it got rid of so many characters all at once and it left you feeling a bit stunned and weak by the end of it. So the Red Wedding is a good sort of analogy, I think. Yeah, if that parries up to that, then yeah, I think so because we have lost three of our characters or we think we've lost three of them anyway in this one episode. Kat's been back in contact. Hey Jack and Colin, glad to see Jack try the dry ramen. Yeah, I did, I quite enjoyed it, mentioned it before, cheaper than a bag of crisps and equally sodium-filled goodness. Anyway, I was wondering what your thoughts were on the popularity of the show despite the cultural differences. I'm Korean, although I didn't grow up there and I'm not fluent in the language, but after having watched the show and talking to friends who've watched it and asked me their questions about the cultural bits, I'm curious what others think. I did notice a few small things that may escape non-Korean viewers. The main one being Ali and Sangwoo's friendship. In the beginning, we've sort of covered some of this. Uh, Ali refers to Sangwoo as, I'm going to murder this cat, sorry, Sangdream, um, which is a respectful way to address an older person you don't know well. Uh, in the episode Hell, Sangwoo tells Ali to call him Huang, which is more akin to older brother. And I don't remember that being conveyed the same way uh, as it means culturally in the subtitles. Yeah, we, we've sort of spoke about that. There are, there are definite differences there and that will have an impact on how how you see it. Uh, on the reference like this are pretty important uh, culturally uh, in Korea. Okay. Um, I know there are more examples and there's been a lot of talk about the translation issues with the show. I wish I was fluent so I could know for sure but my mum refuses to watch it because she doesn't like violence so I can't even ask her. Personally I don't think the story is lost because of small things like this because like you said the main theme of the show, capitalism is bad. It's pretty universal. I guess my question or thought is more like, why do you think foreign 
media like Squid Game and Parasite have transcended the language barrier and uh, are the smaller cultural details even important? Sorry for the lengthy email. I'm way too verbose for my own good. No, <laughs> keep sending them. Cap, we love it. Thanks. Cheers. How would you think, Colin? Do these cultural differences, are, are they important? And why do... You've seen Parasite, I haven't. Uh, why do these cross and transcend the language barrier? I think the the, the slight cultural differences and the, the language choices that change sometimes between dubbing and between subtitles, I don't think they matter massively because they happen. They only come up rarely. It's not like it's it's a very bad adaptation. It's just the odd phrase I think that gets butchered a little bit, and none so much that it it completely changes the story or completely changes massively what you're thinking. As to why this show and why Parasite have sort of transcended the language barrier and became massively worldwide and massively popular, despite being Korean and and not in English, it's because they're so good. It's simply that there there's always been foreign TV shows. There's always been foreign films available. There's people that like them. There's people that go out of their way to watch them. People have watched these films in the in, in the numbers they have, and they've been so so popular. Not because they're Korean. It's because they're so so good. I remember going to see Parasite after hearing Mark Kermode just waxing lyrical about it, and he's a guy I kind of trust quite a bit. Um, I've always Mark Kermode for movies and Alan Sepinwall for TV. Went to see it, and I was absolutely taken in by it. I thought Parasite was tremendous, and you know what? Parasite being so good probably made me more open to watching Squid Game and I, I guess that probably had an impact on Squid Game for more than, more than just me. When you see a film like Parasite win Oscars, be so critically acclaimed, it makes you want to give more Korean stuff and more Asian stuff a chance and I think Squid Game benefited from that as well and Squid Game in turn will do that for other stuff in the future. So I think that language barrier and things like that is just going to get smaller and smaller now due to things like this breaking through and having the popularity that they've had. Yeah, I can agree with most of that. Megan's been in contact on Twitter. Call them. What's Megan? What's her theory? Megan is spot on with her first sentence. Love the podcast. Um, she also tells us that, in her opinion, that player 001 did not wet himself. He instead used the water bottles to stage it. Um, I think he was ready to get out of the game, and this manipulation was part of his signal to cover up his exit. I love this thinking. Um, I, I, I'm not sure it was something I'd thought of myself or we've covered already. We did talk about him not really being ill. And him not really, we did say that, I think we said in the last episode, Jack, that you're not going to wet yourself on purpose, it's horrible. I don't think we even thought about him using the water bottle to stage it. Um, And if that is the case, that's brilliant. And I also really like the fact that there is dubiety about it. We're debating this because it's not made obvious for you. And it gives us debate and gives us something to talk about, which is great. So thank you for bringing that forward, Megan. Yeah, Megan, I think that's a really interesting theory, basically, that he was trying to not get picked in the next game, so making himself look weaker and weaker and weaker and one way of doing that would be to use the water bottle. So, yeah, that's a, I think that's a pretty solid theory to try and get out of the next game. Shannon's been back in contact. Hello again, thank you for the mention. Episode 5 was unexpectedly harder on the second watch, I think. Episode 6, maybe. Yeah, sorry. On the second watch during... Uh, no, sorry, episode 5 was unexpectedly harder on the second watch during the night scene between Sweet Ali and Sangwoo, knowing Ali's fate in the following episode. Right, okay. The selfless scent of a man uh, chose to go hungry because he felt like he owed Sangwoo something and food was all that he could give. The conversation between the two, especially on the topic of family, made me feel even more hate towards Sangwoo before I rewatched episode 6. The amount of trust Ali has breaks my heart. Shannon from Essex again. Yeah, I think you're right there. It does make the, the closeness in the way that Ali looks up to Sangwoo as an older brother, a friend, or however the, the language sort of pads that out, it does make it really sad knowing what's coming in episode 6 where he, he gets betrayed him. So I can understand why you absolutely hate him because I hate Sangwoo as well. Even though we did mention earlier, don't particularly blame him for doing what he done during the, the game of Marvels, but we do we do hate him as well, Shannon. Yeah. And we'll wrap it up, I think. Uh, no, we've got two more to go. So... Where Bear has been in contact on Twitter with three or four points, Colin, so we want to battle through these. Yeah, we'll go through these ones quickly. Um, this kind of goes back to what we said last week about the, the round six stuff. I don't think round six winner means anything more than they won. Uh, there are six rounds in the game. Um, that list showed the first winner is 1988, uh, the year of the Seoul Olympics. So maybe that's what inspired the games in a future storyline, which is quite interesting, Jack. Uh, quite an interesting 
Well, not, not jump. I don't want to say jump, but yeah, um, the Seoul Olympics 1988. So I was right with the 1988. Well done. The rest of the internet, <laughs> they've been saying 1998, I'm sure of it. So it's good to know that myself and where Bear are on top of that. This episode is what I fought back at most at the end. Noble Sacrifice, Dark Betrayal, and even Luck. It was all for nothing. Fucking Sangwoo, though. My hate for him took on new levels. <laughs> I didn't know I had. Um, we're all with you, man. We're all with you, we're Bear. I felt this was tougher second time because we know it's all in vain. When 240 brings up the movie and says about the girls' night, it nearly broke me second time round. It certainly never broke my friend. It certainly almost broke my friend Jack here as well. I saw it firsthand, so it, it was really quite something. Then we've got Alistair who sent in uh, quite a lengthy email. Trips, I like that. I uh, would normally just reply to your tweets, but don't think I'm going to get this in one through, thought I would email you. Uh, Ganby was easily the most hard-hitting episode, but definitely the most predictable for me. Okay, if that's possible. Um, as soon as the weird lady in the PE told them they were going to peers, I knew it meant one half of the pair was going to be killed, whatever the game was. I didn't. Did you, Colm? Were you thinking that here? Not at, not at first, no. I, I think that's part of the the, 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 good, the good of the episode when that hits you. Uh, it hits you at the same time as it hits the characters, and that's why it's impactful. But if you saw that coming, fair play. Similarly, after finding out Sangwe is... This is an understatement, a bit of a dick. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I knew he would somehow fuck Ali over in whatever dirty backhanded bastard way he could <laughs> just to get through. So yeah, that did come uh, come to fruition. Also, I noticed Ilnam was the only main character killed off in the game that you didn't actually see being killed. Yep, we fell for it. Uh, Jihun was walking away in the fake house and you heard the gunshot but couldn't actually see what happened. I remember thinking on first watch that maybe... Um, we hadn't seen the last player one at this point. Uh, every other main character who was killed just saw them being graphically shot. Why didn't you see Ilnam's death? Yeah, fair enough. Like you said, Colin, it's film 101, basically. If you don't see it, it didn't happen. So, yeah, we fell for it at this point. Well, I did anyway. Although, saying that, do you actually see Ali getting graphically shot? You see, I think you see him fall to the floor. Yeah, you do, you, you do see him fall to the floor. I just quickly say that like, oh, the, the contributions this, this week have been fantastic and keep them coming. I love the fact that Jack, Jack, we were recording this show compared to some of the other podcasts we've both been involved in and do. I always try and keep my language a little bit cleaner on this show. I don't know why, but I do it. But I love that our correspondents are just embracing it and the, the emails are full of fucking bastards and everything else. So apologies if, if we're rubbing off on you guys, but keep, do please keep these comms coming because they're, they're fantastic and they really add to, to our insight to you that you guys are thinking similar stuff. Arthur also wants to add can I also just say the shot when Ali realised that Sangmu had betrayed him with the close-up in his face, his eyes beginning to water and the guard behind him cocking his revolver, then lifting it to his head is incredible screenplay. It really is. Yeah, we mentioned it, man. It's so hard-hitting. Hope my shit observations make sense. Not shit at all, mate. Really enjoyed them. Yeah, we did, we did cover some of them, but keep sending these things in because, um, obviously... This is only nine episodes long, and we may as well tell you now that once the nine episodes finish, we're not going to be filling the air with rubbish, but we might do certain things, maybe once a month or once every couple of months, we'll come back to you if there's any sort of breaking news, but the the question, queries and theories section could fill up an episode, so if you've got any, anything else that you want to sign in, uh, send in, sorry, uh, player456pod at gmail.com or at player456pod on Twitter and we, we love the interactions that's basically why we do it we've mentioned it before so I think we'll wrap it up there Colin yeah I think so obviously it's like a different episode from what you've been used to so far in this run but I think this episode deserved this sort of treatment and breaking it up day by day which is to prolong the agony for you guys and for us so I, I'm glad we did it this way Jack and good, good on you for making the call to do that I have enjoyed it as much as I can enjoy going back over things that made me immensely sad. That's it, guys. We'll be back with you next week with episode seven. Speak to you then. <laughs>